Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The author of Hebrews says that we need to lay aside every sin, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and and run this race that God has set before us. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who gave us his own example in doing the same. And we sang, no matter what the cost for the glory of his name, right? So the world may know. No matter what the cost, you know, we, we can sing those words, but I don't know if we really think about what that means. And we need to think about what that means. The Apostle Paul and his companions thought about what that meant. And we left them last week. Now they, they've left. They are back on the road. And, and they are covering the whole Middle East over there on foot. You know, there was no superhighway to jump on, no email, no nothing. They had to walk on foot to the next place. And, and he tells us uh, that there were times when, when they were very cold on the road. Cold to the, probably the point of pain in it. They were um, times when they didn't have enough food to eat, but they kept going and hungry. They had to worry about robbers along the way. Uh, we don't know what the details of that were in his life. But fully devoted, right? Whatever the cost is what he's doing. And in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, he comes to the city of Thessalonica, he and his companions. And as their custom was, they began to share the gospel with the Jewish people who were there. Because remember, the Jewish people were like a built-in audience. They already believed in God. They already believed in the scriptures. They just need to know that Jesus was the Messiah and he had come. So they went there and they began to preach to these people. And they were there three weeks and trouble came. And we don't know for sure how long they ended up being there, no more than three months. And yet this church got founded there. They came to know Jesus so well that when Paul writes a letter to him, he says, I don't, everywhere I go, I, I want to tell people about you. He says, but I find out they already know about you because your reputation is gone around the world. So as Paul goes and he's serving the Lord in Thessalonica, uh, you know, all of a sudden there were people, as always, who got really unhappy with him. And there was a big uproar and they barely prevented a a riot and barely prevented Paul and his companions from being thrown in jail again. And and so they had to leave and they left Thessalonica and they headed out on the road again. And and after a while they came to a town of Berea and they went into Berea and they began to explain the gospel and who Jesus was there. And it said that the Berean, um, the, the, the Jewish people there in Berea really listened, paid attention and began comparing to the scriptures. But what happened is the the people from Thessalonica who were so upset with Paul, so enraged over his preaching of the gospel, followed him to Berea and stirred up the multitudes. And it says right away that the the Christians sent Paul on his way, Paul and Silas on his way again. Would you get tired of that? But no matter what the cost, see, he was going to do it. And how can you do that? How can you have that kind of boldness? 
I mean, we get tired from time to time in our own lives as Christians, right? How do we, you know, get out there and continue to be bold week in and week out, day in and day out, really? And that's what we've been talking about, how we do those things. And last week we saw this. We saw that if you want, you know, to be bold, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Um, and... This passage we're going to look at today has a similar thought to it. So Paul came to Athens, the city of Athens. And because of the logistics of what was going on, some of his companions had to leave him there and then they went back and they were going to try to find Silas and Timothy and get them to Paul in Athens so that they could do their ministry together. Paul typically did not strike out on his own to do ministry because he knew the importance of having that group of Christians with him to do it. But he's in Athens, and Athens is uh, this culturally elite town, city in Greece. Uh, It's the place of ideas, the place of education, the place of philosophy. You know, all the great philosophers have a connection to Athens. Uh, Aristotle, Plato, these guys all have a connection to Athens. And in in some ways, Athens, it it was probably only 10,000 people by the time Paul got there. You know, that's about, I don't know how many people attend Harvard University, but it's about that size, probably, somewhere in that vicinity. And Harvard is seen as what? The place of ideas, right? The cultural elite, the educational elite. And, And so this is sort of where Paul is showing up. And, and this city was known, it had this, what they called the Pantheon. And, and you've heard that word gets used here and there for lots of things, a pantheon or something. But it was a place where they had all of the gods, pantheon, pan being all, and theon, theos, God. The pantheon where they had uh, altars to all the gods that the Greek people worshiped, maybe gods that other people in the world worship. And so Paul is there and this is the way that city is. And he's left there by himself. And that's where we pick up our story today. Let's take Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. And if if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we encourage you to take one from under the chairs there. We'll be on pages 1276 and 1277 today. 1276. Acts chapter 17. And let's start in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... Remember, he sent his, the companions left and he was waiting for Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy to show up. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, why would he be provoked about that? Just, just idols. And in other places in his letters, he says an idol is nothing. It isn't anything. And yet he is provoked in his spirit about this. What's going on? Well, I believe, based on all the things that we see in Paul's life, he was provoked because he knew that these idols were false gods. And if these people believed in these false gods, that they would be lost forever. They would not know the truth. They would not experience what Jesus came to provide for them. And they are lost. And it, it I mean... If you go someplace and there's, they, they worship a false god, that's bad enough. 
But he goes and, and every place he walks, you know, it is somewhat like you know, walking around Harvard University or other place in the world. You see a plaque, you see a statue, you see a memorial, you see all kinds of things telling you what's important in this place. And so here we have all of these gods, false gods, that they were putting their hope in. By the way, I think in Athens they figured, let's just make sure we got every base covered. (laughs) In case, you know, this God is the one or that's the one, we want to make sure we got them all. And Paul just was so burdened for them. I mean, how lost were they? I mean, in one sense we say to be lost is to be lost, right? You're either lost or you're not. And yet, the more you pile on false beliefs, and and ways of thinking and responding because of that, the harder sometimes it gets to get down to what's really true. And so this is what he saw. He was provoked within him. We could say he was troubled. He was, his spirit was stirred up when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore, because of this, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, Gentile worshipers being those who believed in Judaism but, you know, were not Jews. And in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So out in the the place where all the people are. But I want you to see, because he was stirred, because he was burdened, because he saw where these people were at, therefore he reasoned. He stepped out and was bold in his witness. Verse 18, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, so these are different schools of philosophy, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he, he seems to be, and, and you can hear these guys talking, I don't know, he seems to be the proclaimer of foreign gods. And they said that because he preached to them Jesus and resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And so the Areopagus was the place where they would gather to have these discussions about ideas, great philosophical ideas, ideas about a new God or whatever was going on. And so here's someone that we've never heard this one. Bring him here. And so they take Paul into that place and set him in the middle there with all of these people who do nothing but study these things. How would you feel? I mean, it'd be a great opportunity on the face of it, but how would you feel if it was like a Harvard University and, and somebody said, hey, we want you to come. We're going to have every department head there. And we want you to tell us about Jesus. We don't know if it's true. We aren't sure if we like what you're saying. But we want you to come tell us about it. How would you feel? Excited? Yeah? Scared? Yeah? Right? I mean, I, I think it would be, but so here's Paul. So he's put in this position to speak for the Lord. Verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, men of Athens. And by the way, he has to come up with a sermon on the, on the fly here. Um, 
I, I teach speech to uh, homeschool students every year, and, and one of the things we always talk about is you need to know who your audience is. And who your audience is is going to affect how you try to connect with them and how you approach what you want to say so that they can listen. You make it easier for them to listen. So Paul does this very masterfully here. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Europicus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And they prided themselves in that. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. <laughs> so, but they have altars and statues and, and more, whatever, it's all of these different gods. But the question arises, what if we missed one? And there's actually, by the way, some historical st uh, stories behind this, why this altar was there. But for the average Athenian, the reason that was there is because what if we missed one? Maybe there's an unknown God. Let's cover our bases. I mean, if you were walking around looking at wouldn't you say, amazing. He says, so I saw an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Let me tell you about this unknown God. Do you think he has their attention? You see, he's, he's taken what's there, the situation there, and using that as a way to talk to them. By the way, that's a great lesson for us to learn in our trying to witness to people. Being alert to what's going on in a situation and circumstance and think how might that tie into the gospel. All right, he says there, yeah, so I'm gonna proclaim him to you. Verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So he starts to establish who God is and, and he's telling them that God is not like you guys think because they had temples, they understood the idea of having a temple to this God for him to dwell in and the temple for this one to dwell in and he says it's not like that. So as he's already, right from the very beginning, what's he doing? He's confronting something that isn't true. Now he's not being mean-spirited about it but he is confronting this. That, that takes a measure of boldness and by the way, he says something here that I think is really valuable for us to know, to encourage us. He says that, um, well, first of all, he says that we're all the same blood, human beings. We're all one race. We are the human race. Okay? But then he says this, that God has determined where people live and when they live. Hmm. That means it's no accident that you were born where you were born and that you are where you are now. For those of you who are watching, it's no accident that, that you are where you are now. And he says, here's why God did that. He says, so that they would seek him. So you, are, you live where you live at this time in history because God wants you to seek him. 
And so there are things at this time in history and in your life that God will use. And that's true for every person. Every person that you know who does not know Jesus, there are things in their life and in their world and in their experience that God wants to use to draw them to him. And so when you begin to interact with someone as you're a Christian and they're not, and you begin to talk to them, you don't necessarily know what that is, but you know there is something. There is something that will resonate with this person. There is something that will stir this person's heart. That's encouraging to know. All right, so let's continue. You might think that he, you know, he may be starting to offend them. But then he says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, For we, also, we are also his offspring. So now he quotes one of their poets, somebody that they would know, trying to make that connection and keep them listening. And he says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature... It's like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So he's challenging the idolatry again. And he says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's a pretty bold statement, right? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So he goes to the gospel. But he's, he, he tells us something here. He says, you're going to be judged. There, there is a judgment coming. God is going to judge all of us. And there's a judgment. And Jesus Christ is at the center of this whole thing. See, I think this goes back to why he was provoked in the very beginning. Why is he bothered? Because these people are lost. Because these people don't know the Lord. Because these people are facing judgment without Jesus Christ. And so he is burdened and motivated. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Okay, we wanna, we'll, we'll have another conversation. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Oropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So one of these people, and we talked about sitting and you know, talking to the, all the heads of every department at Harvard University, and you give your testimony, you, you try to explain the gospel, and one of them gets saved and walks out the door with you talking to you. Wow, is that pretty surprising, pretty amazing? It's because Paul was bold enough to engage them and share the gospel. So here's what I want you to get today if you get nothing else. If you want to grow bolder in your witness, love what God loves. Love what God loves. What does God love? Well, God loves righteousness, doesn't he? He does, the Bible says so. He loves truth. He, he, loves, he loves mercy, thankfully. He loves a lot of things, he says. But the overarching thing that he loves, for God so loved 
the world. The people of the world, the individuals in the world. God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them. That's an amazing expression of love. That, that he loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us in our desperate condition. And he was willing to pay an extremely high cost. So God loves the world. And so if, it, it moved God to do these things that he did. And I believe that it's what moved Paul here. He was provoked. I can't, these folks, they, they are so lost. Look, they don't even just have one thing that they're lost in. They have all of these things that they're lost in. They need to know because judgment is coming. They gotta know. So Paul is moved by loving what God loves. This people. The people of the world. So how do we learn to love what God loves? How do how we learn to love like that? Well, the first thing you got to do is get connected to the heart and mind of God. You have to begin to see things the way God sees them and feel about them the same way God feels about them. Do we naturally see things the way God sees them? No, we don't. We naturally see things different. Do we naturally feel the same way God does about things? No, we don't. Okay, and so we have to get connected with God in his heart and his mind. And we do that by getting into his word and having an ongoing conversation with him about it. We're talking about, you know, and I try to demonstrate this to you sometimes, but we read this and it isn't just about reading words. It's about these words came from God. He is the one who led to their writing. The Holy Spirit directed in that. And, and so when I read this, I'm, having, I wanna, I'm hearing from God and I want to have a conversation with God about it. And so if I'm reading my Bible and I read this, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Boy, God, I, what would that be in, in my day? Lord, help me to see what, you know, what are the idols? What are the things that the people around me worship? Seems like some of them worship money. They worship power. Man, but none of that stuff is going to do it for him. Father, would you help me to see like Paul did here, to be provoked? Would you stir me up about this, that I would be bothered by this because of what it means in these people's lives? Therefore, he, do you see what's going on here? And you don't always have to read the Bible like that, but you do need to read the Bible like that. You need to spend time with God. And by the way, this is what takes this from... You know, depending on what your religious background is, you know, where you were told, okay, you know, say this many of this prayer and say that many of that prayer and do this many good things or whatever. When we say reading the Bible to you, it may sound like some religious thing, right? I gotta just, okay, read the Bible. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about on, on a regular basis somehow, often enough that it's sufficient works, that you sit down and you connect with God because in here you're gonna find how he sees the world. In here, you're going to find how he feels about the world. And you're going to see that God views the lost as worth the cost. He views us as worth it. All the world around us, he views us. He willingly sacrificed to save us. Uh, and we see that when Paul warned you, the judgment's coming, right? We've all sinned. 
And you, you may be here today, and, and this is new to you. You may be here today, and you've heard this hundreds of times. You may be watching here today, and maybe this is new to you, what I'm going to say. But that is that we are every one of us born with a nature that wants to go its own way, that does its own thing. And as a result, we sin against God. We disobey God. We don't live our lives the way God would have us live. Our hearts aren't the way God would have us them be. And we find that we're, there's a spiritual deadness there in our hearts. And the Bible says that if we die in that condition, that we will be separated from God forever in hell. But the gospel, the good news is that Jesus and God the Father loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world who had no sin, who never sinned, who lived that perfect and sinless life. And so when he willingly went to the cross, the Bible says that God took the, the penalty, the blame, the guilt for my sin and put it on his son Jesus and he paid the penalty for me and he paid the penalty for you and for you, and for the sins of the whole world. And he paid the penalty in full. Three days later, he rises from the dead victorious over that, showing that the penalty has been paid. And, and the offer to you is if you will acknowledge and admit that, wow, I have sinned against God, my way is the wrong way, and I've done these things in disobedience to God, I need a savior. And you'll believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and that he did what the Bible said he did that you can say, I now choose to receive Christ as my savior. I choose to accept his payment for my sins and his resurrected life for my new life. And, and at that moment, every sin is forgiven. Every sin. Jesus died for all of them. Every sin forgiven. Uh, heaven, you now, you're now your destiny. And he comes to live inside of you and begins to change you from the inside out. And so, this is what he's done for us. This is the message and this is what we need to understand and he did it because God so what? Loved the world. And Paul had come to love the world as well, therefore he was provoked in his spirit when he saw what was going on, that they were given over to idols. And so let me say this to you. If we're not concerned about the people around us, I mean really concerned, we're not really concerned with the world around us, then I don't know that we really understand the heart and mind of God. Let me give you a little test to give yourself. Anybody besides me watch the television and see the political news and what's going on in the election and find yourself sometimes getting angry? I'm not the only one, right? Okay, and it's my, but you know what? Here's the question. What bothers you most? What, is what bothers you most what they're saying and what they're doing that you believe is a lie and that you believe is wrong and you believe is gonna be harmful? Does that bother you most or does it bother you the most that they're deceived and unless they turn to the Lord, they will die and go to hell? That's a different take, isn't it? But when we love what God loves, that's what we do. Doesn't mean we don't have the other feelings, but what motivates us more? And, and I've known that for years, but I, I forget it. But when I thought about it again this week, all of a sudden it broke my heart and I, I prayed for some people that before I just wanted to badmouth. Okay. So, 
as, my, as our love increases then, so we begin to love the things that God loves, you know, what do I do? Well, second thing is this, step out in faith to share your faith and keep sharing it. That's what Paul did, right? You know, there has to come a, a point in, your, in this process where you finally do it. I gotta share my faith. And you, you gotta step out and do it. And I'm, I'm gonna try to move here through here fairly quickly because we are uh, rapidly running out of time here. But let me encourage you, stop waiting for the perfect situation to be a witness. Take the, the opportunity you have and, and you're thinking, well, what if I fail? What if I go down in flames? Well, he used to be like Peter. He walked on the water and when he started to sink, what did he do? Lord, save me. But he got out of the boat and did it. And so we got to get out of the boat and do some witnessing, trying to figure out how to share our faith. And it says that he reasoned with them daily, daily. And I'd suggest that that's a pattern we need to follow in our witness daily, that we ought to think every day, how, what am I doing to reach people for Christ today? Who, who can I have a conversation with? Who can I care about in a, in a loving and Christian way? Who can I pray for? Uh, what missionary can I pray for? Or maybe I should give something today or whatever it is, but say every day. You know, we're supposed to surrender, grow and tell. So surrender every day, grow every day. Do something about telling every day. And if you don't run into anybody, talk to anybody today, probably almost all of you are connected on social media. There's no reason in the world you can't say there, you know, I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ came and, and paid the penalty for all my sins. Boom. I mean, your recipes that we see are nice, your funny cat videos, those are cool. Uh, your political things just get me all worked up. Uh, but share something about the gospel. You know, take advantage of that. And I would say if we are not consistently and purposely trying to share our faith with others, then we aren't really, we must not be loving them. Because if we really love them, we gotta figure out how to share our faith. And you might say, well, that's not my personality. My, I'm, my personality isn't like it. That's fine. What is your personality like? Then ask God, God, how do I carry out this responsibility with my personality? You know, I'm not trying to put everybody in the cookie cutter, you gotta be this way, but I tell you what, every Christian has to, if they're gonna uh, do what God wants them to do, they have to be actively, purposely, consciously involved in trying to get the gospel out and win people to Christ. Now, what, if, if your personality doesn't fit those big conversations, it fits someplace, ask God what it is and do that. Do that every day. So what happens then when I let love for the lost motivate me to witness? I love this. Verse 34, however, some men joined him and believed. What's gonna happen if you love people and witness, some will believe. Now that ought to encourage you because we don't really think that, do we? Do we? I mean, we might know that's a fact, but do we really feel that way and think that, hey, if I will just witness, if I'll do what I can to be a faithful witness, at some point, someone will believe. If you really started, if you really started to believe that, would it change how you interact with people? See, it should. I mean, this is, this is a place you would expect zero converts. And some of them believe because Paul loved them 
and shared the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus talked about the, the farmer who went out and sowed his seed and he sowed it everywhere. And some of it was good soil and some of it took root and some of it, you know, became people who, who got saved and, and bore fruit for Christ. And so let me ask you a question. Who is here today at Life Source Church? Who is here because you witnessed to them? Because you were faithful to reach out to them. Who's here today like that? And not, not just in the last 20 years, but in the last maybe two years. I want to challenge us to, to begin to uh, pursue this daily. Something, some way of witnessing every day. And let's ask God that, you know, maybe every week then we get to actually make a connection with someone. Maybe, you know, uh, every month we, we actually get to have a significant conversation with somebody about this. Ask God. Ask God to give you the opportunity. Ask God. Say, God, by this time next year, can there please be somebody here in our church who has come to know you and is growing because you used me to witness to them? Would you ask God that? The Bible says that he will answer prayers that are according to his will. And I just can't imagine, say, God, would you please give me an opportunity to share my faith somehow, some way, somewhere today, and give me an opportunity to have significant conversations with someone, help me to be able to share the gospel. God, would you please use me that somebody, I can, you know, whether I explain it all to them or I invite them to church and they come and hear the gospel and be saved, God, would you please give me someone this way a year from now? Somebody is saved and here because you used me. Do you think God's going to say, nah, not interested? We need to get bold in our praying and ask God to use us. And then step out and do it. And if no one is ever believing as a result of, of your witness, there's a high likelihood that you really aren't loving people the way you ought to. And sharing your faith. And so if you want to grow bolder in your witness, Love what God loves. Let it motivate you to share your faith and keep sharing it. Because some will believe. If you are faithful to do that, someone will believe. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, Lord, and his example to us of learning to love what you love, to love people to love the world around us, to be concerned about where they're at in their relationship with you and that they desperately need to know you. And if they don't know you, they will face that judgment alone. Oh God, please motivate us to love enough to step out and be faithful and witness and to boldly pray to you and ask for opportunities to do this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for... Your attention, Mandy's sticking around through this whole time, so you'll have plenty of time to connect with her before you leave. God bless you.